Dimitra, centrally located in Kentucky, provides proven gene editing technologies, cast clover nuclease and piggyback transposes, which are used for wide applications in bioprocessing, synthetic biology, and agriculture. This podcast will be moderated by Jack Crawford, CEO of Dimitra. Please enjoy. Thank you. I'm Jack Crawford. Welcome to our GenCast. The direct therapeutic applications of genome editing, namely gene and cell therapy, have received a lot of attention with substantial company valuations and IPOs over the last few years. Human therapeutics are, of course, very important. But today, we're going to explore a new emerging use of advanced gene editing that has the ability to save or improve millions of lives globally. According to the NIH and the WHO, the mosquito is responsible for over 700,000 deaths worldwide through transmission of deadly viruses such as malaria and dengue, not to mention an estimated economic burden of multiple billions of dollars per year. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with two experts in their respective fields who have recently co-authored a paper in the Journal of Fungi entitled Targeting Mosquitoes Through Generation of an Insecticidal RNAi Yeast Strain Using Cast Clover and Super Piggyback Engineering in Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Dr. Molly Duman Shield is the Navari Family Professor in the Department of Medical and Molecular Genetics at the Indiana University School of Medicine, South Bend. Molly is an expert in mosquito central and sensory nervous system development and co-author of dozens of related peer-reviewed journal articles. Thank you for being with us, Molly. Thanks for having me. Dr. Corey Breezy is the senior scientist of cell systems at Demetra. He received his degree in molecular and cellular biochemistry from the University of Kentucky. He is applying his expertise in genome editing techniques to synthetic biotechnology and bioprocessing. Hi, Corey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jack. All right, Molly, let's start from the very beginning. Going back through your publication record, it looks like you have been studying mosquito developmental biology with the use of silencing RNA for at least a decade. Is, is that right? Yes, that's correct. My background is in developmental genetics. So our goal was to study mosquito developmental biology, and that's really a relatively unexplored area of vector biology. Given that genes are critical for regulating mosquito development, we wanted to find good ways to study mosquito developmental gene functions. And we were particularly interested in finding genes that regulate mosquito nervous system development. That's my area of specialty since graduate school. And together with my first students, Tony Clemens and Ellen Flannery, and then a really talented postdoctoral fellow, Keshava Mysore, who's actually now a research assistant professor with my group, we found that RNAi silencing is an excellent way to turn off genes in the mosquito nervous system. But we did focus our studies on tissues of vector importance. As we were mentioning, the nervous system, part of that is the olfactory system, which is the way that the mosquito finds you and then eventually bites you. The salivary glands, we delved into that a bit because they're important for transmitting diseases to humans. And we also started to look at studying female-specific traits, and we're going to come back to that later. As female mosquitoes bite people, they are the ones that actually spread the pathogens and cause diseases. 
So we started characterizing genes that regulate female development, as well as the development of these tissues of vector importance, thinking that we might, you know, eventually reveal some insight into new vector control tools, but it wasn't really directed in that particular, any particular direction other than to, to just understand things better. And then around that time, I started attending conferences, for example, the Arthur Pudd Genetics and Genomics Symposium, and there were industry scientists who were beginning to use RNAi as pesticides to control agricultural pests. And so that got me thinking, and I think at the time, you know, genetics was sort of a new thing in the vector control area. Things were starting to change slightly, and so we were kind of keeping things open and exploring grand opportunities. Around that time, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation issued a call for grand challenges, grant proposals, and they were actually targeting new innovations that controlled the developmental stages of mosquitoes. And I was like, oh, well, we have to put one in for this grand challenge. Um, we proposed the use of RNAi insecticides to, to silence genes that requ are required for mosquito development, and the award was actually funded. That really sparked all these translational science initiatives that have really become our passion and about the past decade or so. Wow, very, very cool. Now over to Corey. Your PhD was focused on metabolic engineering in red algae, and now you have been with Demetra for over two years. How did you apply this background to gene editing for synthetic biotechnology and yeast? Yeah, Jack. So I was under Matt Gentry. Uh, he was my professor PI at University of Kentucky, and we studied carbohydrate metabolism and red algae. So uh, a key thing to understand this metabolism was actually to go in and gene edit this red algae and, and knock out these genes to see what the phenotype would be. And a lot of the gene editing techniques were based off of Saccharomyces cerevisiae. So this was looking at, you know, knocking out nutritional markers, having a base red algae that you could actually look at a phenotype with and do proper knock-ins and, and have selectability to while you do this. Um, yeah, just a follow-up question on that. Within the red algae, when you were doing your PhD, were you using homologous recombination in combination with a, a targeted nucleus like CRISPR-Cas9, or was it primarily some other method? So primarily, we used just homologous recombination. This, you know, same thing with Saccharomyces cerevisiae uh, has this remarkable ability to find those homologous regions and actually just make a repair itself. So that was what we did with red algae. We didn't actually even use a targeted nuclease. And it came with downfalls too. We had to screen a lot of different colonies, things like that. So, so the, the efficiency was maybe not quite so high? Yeah, the efficiency was very low. I wish I did have, you know, the cast clover technology and things like that <laughs> back when I was in grad school. But yeah, so we we did a lot of similar things that we that I applied to at Demetra. Only this time, I got to use you know cast clover and the piggyback transposase system to efficiently make you know uh, those cerevisiae lines. Yeah, very interesting. I didn't know this part of the story here, uh, bringing you guys together in this way from two very different backgrounds. But moving on, Molly. Back to you. In 2017, you published two key papers on yeast as a platform system for biomanufacturing of RNAi and short hairpin RNA or shRNA. 
directed towards mosquito control. Can you describe how this works? Sure. Well, I think once we got started on more of the translational aspects of this problem, we realized two of the primary obstacles to using RNAi pesticides were these steep costs of RNA production. And that was really a main criticism that people in the field had is how are you going to do this cheaply enough and, and make this affordable? And then the other way is, okay, if you have the RNA, how are you going to get it into mosquitoes in the field? Um, how is it going to be stable out there? And yeast actually solved both of these issues for us. Yeasts are genetically tractable and they can be genetically engineered to express the RNAi pesticides. And you can choose any mosquito gene of interest. And just by designing the RNA to match that sequence, you can use the yeast to express the pesticide um, targeting a particular gene. And then the yeast is producing the RNA as it is growing. And so that's really quite an inexpensive and actually really easily scalable approach. So that was great if you want to start deploying these pesticides everywhere in an yeah. inexpensive fashion. Yeah, so that's brilliant. I've been to a couple of ag tech conferences where they're, the discussion is basically around this. We've got silencing RNA, uh, other te uh, biologic technologies for biopesticides, but how do you make it in an economical way yeah, and it's also because we have used yeast in, in the food industry for so long, uh, there's all these mechanisms of drying yeast, you can actually heat inactivate it. So it's heat killing the yeast and it's not a live genetic model organism. We can then dry it and produce it a powder that can be shipped all over the world. Um, it's stable. And actually we found that those dried powders are really pretty stable once we put them out in the environment too. So that's another great attribute of the yeast. Mm -hmm. Okay, so building off that in, in 2020 and 21, you described two target loci in mosquito, one being the shaker gene, which has a broad application as well as other targets within the long non-coding RNA or link RNA located in the MM locus. Can you describe the different outcomes for RNAi targeting these regions and how they could be used in vector control? Sure. So as I was saying, you can use RNAi to target any gene that you want. All you need to know is the sequence of the gene. And luckily, the genomes of a lot of key vector mosquito species have been sequenced. For example, my colleague Dave Severson at Notre Dame had led the um, genome project for Aedes aegypti. So we have all of these genes available to us. So if you want to make a larvicide, something that will kill the developing mosquito larvae, we pick a gene that is required for the larvae to grow into adults. We target it, and then the larvae die when they eat the yeast. Likewise, you can find genes that are required in adults, and then we can actually get adults to eat the yeast by putting it in a sugar bait, and they drink it, and that will kill the adult mosquitoes. And what's nice is you can make things that specifically target the mosquitoes and no other organisms. So you can pick a sequence that will kill mosquitoes, but has no effect whatsoever, for example, on humans or honeybees. So we really view this as an environmentally friendly approach. Yeah, and that's a huge, huge advantage as we've seen. So moving on to Corey and, the, and getting to the gene editing part of this, Corey, 
When your team first started collaborating with Molly's group towards the end of 2021, what technologies were employed and what was the plan to begin to use gene editing to optimize the yeast biopesticide delivery platform? Yeah, so I think, you know, if I can remember back, you know, to 2021 when I first met Molly's group and everything, I think the initial plan was just trying to use, you know, an industrial yeast strain to get robust fermentation and growth. And then we started to think about what ways that we could make the expression uh, as high as we could. And, and that came to creating an, a platform or a biofactory platform, biomanufacturing platform uh, with Cass Clover, targeting those nutritional markers that are key for serum to survive. So genes that are critical for tryptophan, histidine, uracil, you know, and, and target those. And we used Cass Clover originally and we created a couple different strains that had multiple nutritional markers knocked out. And this also allowed for very easy selection when we actually uh, combined that with piggyback. So that was kind of, uh, you know, the first was to make the platform. And then the second was to utilize piggyback to put the cargo in. And basically it re uh, restored that oxytrophy that we created in the first place. So we tried to use the just one copy of that shRNA, and then it developed into quite an awesome project because I think the first time we talked to Molly, we created a bunch of strains at first. Everything looked great. And then we kept on developing different ways to actually make this strain, you know, put more shRNA copies in, put different RNAi in native promoters versus defective promoters uh, with that idea being that defective promoters would drive the expression of more shRNA. So we, we kind of developed that base strain. And then from the, that base strain with Cass Clover, we had a lot of tools on the front end to actually make those strains mm -hmm. for different RNAi levels. And just for the audience, Cass Clover is a dimeric nuclease that is a, a targeted nuclease similar to CRISPR-Cas9. So we can use it to target any gene in any genome. And then piggyback is a transposase that will deliver uh, your expression DNA cargo. And these two uh, technologies were, were used for this project. So related to that, Corey, Figure one actually does a, it, of the journal, uh, a fungi paper gives a good schematic of this strategy that you just described um, and how that evolved. But I want to focus for a moment on figures two and three, where what we're getting here is the different expression levels of shRNA compared to the lab strain expression. And can you tell us how the technologies are able to achieve this? And is it applicable applicable to other bioprocessing systems? Yeah, so what we did as a control to kind of understand why, uh, you know, we want to exceed Molly's lab strain that she developed, and we wanted to compare that to our system that uses Cass Clover and Piggyback. So we transiently expressed Molly's plasmid into a yeast strain. Um, now, transient expression 
has its faults because it can either get integrated or not, or it won't get integrated depending on what plasmid vector system you use. But for our case, piggyback favors stable and highly expressed sites. So we use piggyback for this purpose. And then using this, it's very stable because of the way it puts it in. It's very, it's very seamless. And we can identify those sites with Splinker at PCR. And if we wanted to really go in, we could actually target knock-in with Cast Clover at those sites, which has already been applied to other biotherapeutic systems such as CHO and HEC-293 cells. So in figure two and figure three, you know, piggyback transposase system. So piggyback transposase randomly integrates into TTAA sites and it favors those stable and highly expressed sites. But that's why figure two and figure three, you can see multiple strains with varying amounts of expression. And this has to do with where in the genome and throughout time, we always compared this to a transiently expressed strain or a strain that had a native nutritional marker in the transposon cassette. Mm -hmm. um, you can see how vastly different a lot of these integration or expression levels are based on where piggyback is choosing to integrate into the service EA genome. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. You uh, you mentioned mammalian cells, CHO and HEC, and how this platform can be applied to really anything. And we, we've seen that success and, and the different expression levels. And, and we've had collaborators that not only want high expression, but maybe different levels of expression. Right. And so I think what you're describing is the use of these gene editing tools, Cas Clover and Piggyback, to systematically create these custom bioprocessing platforms. Yes. So for... In Molly's case, uh, in, in our collaboration with Molly, you know, we initially tested low, medium, and high expressing strains because we didn't know if the high stressing strains was going to be conducive to the downstream application, like larvicide activity and adulticide activity. So we tested that. It turned out that the high expressing strain really was where we wanted to go. And that's the same thing with other clients that we have. We can produce different strains using cash clover and piggyback with tailored expression levels for whatever your application is. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, back to you, Molly. In the paper, your group is getting very impressive efficacy, near 100% mortality in both larvae and adults across five key mosquito vector carrying species. Do you believe this system will translate into this type of efficacy in the field? Yes, we're really hopeful that it will, especially since RNAi insecticides are an environmentally friendly new class of insecticides that can help combat pesticide resistance, which is just a huge problem worldwide. Mosquitoes are becoming resistant to the pesticides we have. So we want new eco-friendly pesticides like our use pesticides um, to help combat that problem. And I think the next stages will be pursuit of uh, larger field trials that'll help us better understand how things will work in the field. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You mentioned chemical pesticide resistance. So the way I understand this is a chemical will target a protein generally, and 
it, it has a specific mechanism of action and the species will actually mutate to get around that and, and hence the, the uh, resistance. But with the RNAi and these genes you're targeting, these are essential genes for the mosquito to develop and, and live. So it can't evolve to get around it. Is that, am I understanding that right? Well, we hope not. I think one thing we've done is to show that some of these mosquitoes that are resistant to existing pesticides, we can kill them directly with our yeast. Uh, and that looks mm -hmm. nice. We've taken out the mosquitoes about 11 generations now, and we haven't seen any resistance yet. So uh, we're hopeful. But I think the nice thing about our system is that if they do mutate and become resistant to any particular yeast strain, we can just use a different strain targeting a different gene or even a different location in the first gene and overcome that. So that's really exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. So unlike a chemical pesticide, you're going directly to the source, the gene. Um, right. and, and that has a huge advantage. And then you've already discovered many, many targets that have a very similar outcome and you can target different areas of that gene. Is that right? Right. Some of our initial work was just to do screens where we identified hundreds of different RNAi molecules that work to kill larvae um, and work to kill adult mosquitoes. And we've also done screens looking at genes that would specifically kill those female mosquito larvae. Um, so that's a really exciting area that we're getting into um, and working with you on that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So getting into that, to the female larvae specific targeting system of the MM loci, can you describe the current state of what's called sterile insect technique or SIT? Where is it right. happening? How big of a deal is it? Is the process coming to the US? And, and just when we started collaborating, I had heard of gene drive, where you have a genetically engineered insect, mosquito, or whatever, you introduce it into the wild, it breeds and passes on this lethal gene. I'd heard of that, but I had never heard of SIT. The way I think of this and its brilliance is that you got to do this work up front by manufacturing these sterile insects. But once you do that, you they do the work for you. They go and find the targets, and, and I think that's pretty interesting. If you could uh, explain that a little bit more for the listeners. Sure. Well, there are a, a number of new control strategies. For example, the sterile insect technique, as you were mentioning, SIT. And what they require are mass releases of millions of male mosquitoes. And these are more population-based methods of mosquito control that could really have huge impacts over a region. For example, if you had a dengue outbreak or if you wanna go into malaria dense areas. And so you mentioned the M locus. What that is is, is a sex determination locus for mosquitoes. So it determines if the mosquito is a boy or a girl in the dengue vector mosquito Aedes aegypti. And what we found is that actually, if you look at some of those sex determination genes in Aedes, you have similar genes in other species of mosquitoes, such as your malaria vector mosquitoes, Anopheles, your Culex mosquitoes, which vector West Nile, for example, in the United States. 
And those same genes seem to be useful in the sense that we can actually target those genes in any of these species and just kill the female larvae. Well, that's great for things like SID. If you've got to make you know, thousands, millions of male mosquitoes and you're producing these and these mass rearing facilities as they do, if you can just feed the mosquitoes yeast, which is a normal component of the mosquito diet, that will kill the females, that will leave you with large numbers of males. So we can really support these uh, mass rearing facilities. Mm -hmm. And as you'd mentioned, SIT is really, it's an it's a idea that's been around for decades and it's really taken a lot of, gained a lot of traction in recent years. It's being tested in many places around the globe, Mexico, China, South Africa, Cuba, Brazil, um, all have some SIT programs that they're testing. And even within the United States, there's a lot of interest in using SIT um, and it's being tested in Florida. They're looking at it in California. And it's really showing excellent potential for controlling mosquito populations. It could be a real game changer. So we're so excited to have developed uh, RNAi yeast with you that could help support these efforts. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like this is a really, really, this could be a game changer, and it and it's extremely clean, you know, for the environment, right? Absolutely. Uh, no spraying, no uh, no pesticides, all that. So the bug does the work. Okay, so yeast in the bug. <laughs> yeah, yeast in the bug. Uh, Corey, final engineered strain is reported to have an LD LD fifty of around tenfold less than the laboratory strain meaning it is far more potent than the original strain. What about the gene editing do you think plays this the major role here? Final round that we did was actually going in with multiple shRNA cassettes. So each, each individual shRNA is controlled by its own promoter and its own terminator uh, for the expression. And we actually just daisy chained those together and created a very simple one transformation into Cerevisiae uh, with piggyback was really easy downstream to identify that they had it in there. And in general, it had a very high expressing uh, outcome in, in those strains. So I really think that, you know, having such a lower LD50 really shows that we put in a very high amount of, of shRNA. And RNA. So you can feed these, uh, you can use less material in the larvicide and adulticide assays because it's so much more potent. And that creates a more beneficial profit for, for a company. Or if you're mass producing this strain, uh, you don't have to use as much, uh, which is better for the customer and it's better for us as well. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you. The, the final hurdle to prove out that the yeast biopesticide for global distribution is the confirmation of industrial scale fermentation. Pilot fermentations indicated that this strain was suitable for commercial scale production. And importantly, the expression of the insecticide shRNA increases with the fermentations. Can you describe how relevant this is towards the goals of this project and why the gene editing was critical for the stability and the high expression? Yeah, I think our whole goal was to try to produce this technology in an industrial yeast strain. So use Demetrius technology as well as 
Molly's uh, groups, technology and, and RNAi and targets to actually make an industrial yeast strain that won't lose that expression over time. And that really comes into uh, the role of piggyback, making stable integrations and stable expression. So as you grow these in a fermentation environment, you're going to get stable expression and you're never gonna lose that expression over time. And that's really what was key for us to make a product that you can always make and that expression is never going to differ. So it was really nice to see no matter what type of basic media for fermentation that we put in, we never lost expression of the RNA option. Okay, uh, beautiful. All right, so this next question is for both of you. Can you talk a little bit about working together? A large public university such as Indiana and a startup gene editing company um, working together, you hear these partnerships can be sometimes challenging. Tell us a little bit about this and I might jump in as well if you don't mind. Well, I think it's been a it's really been a great collaboration. And we were at a point where, you know, I'd talk about how our yeast might help these mass rearing labs, for example. And I gave a talk on this, I think in 2019. Um, and the people were like, well, can you send us the yeast? Said, well, actually, no, we can't, we can't yet. Um, we're trying to find someone to make it um, with us. And so I think Demetra came along uh, at a great time for us. And it's just been a really wonderful collaboration. I think um, both of our groups are are amenable to, you know, doing the research to answer the questions as we go along. We pivot when we need to. We adjust the challenges together. You know, we shoot each other emails all the time, um, working mm -hmm. together, hop on Zoom and, and talk through problems. We get together um, and, and meet at various conferences and in person. And so it's just been a great collaboration. And you know, it's great. Now I'm going to a conference next week. And I know when these groups start asking, hey, could you send us some yeast? I can point them in your direction and say, yes, we're we're about ready to deploy this and send this to people to try it in their facilities. And that's just so exciting and rewarding. I think Molly's passion for this project really kind of motivated us to do the best we could with developing the strain. The technology definitely helped. And I think, uh, you know, meeting Molly and talking to her and, and meeting with the child was really nice to go see their uh, facilities in, in uh, South Bend. So it, it was a really a good, it's been a really great collaboration and I hope it continues. I, I have to give a lot of credit to the University of Indiana Tech Transfer Group. You know, a lot of collaborations I've started with our companies and universities get held up quite a bit in, in the contract negotiation and the intellectual property and all that. And, and Indiana has been extremely helpful, extremely reasonable. We, we have contracts that we can all understand and, and we get those done very, very easily and smoothly. There's two main barriers for anybody using gene editing technology, such as Molly's group or other companies, is the intellectual property for the commercialization applications. Uh, it's not very easy to get access to that. You can do a lot of research in a, on a lab setting, but transitioning to commercial applications is difficult. We have that here at Demetra. And then um, as we've described, we have the know-how 
uh, internally to use our gene editing technology to edit many different organisms that can be applicable to these to these areas. Yeast we're talking about today, but also cells and plants. So to finish off, what is the next step for mosquito biopesticide products? And tell us more about the future applications. Can other pests be targeted in a similar fashion and even agricultural pests? This is for both of you guys. Molly, maybe you could start. Sure. I think these large-scale field trials are really the next um, hurdles for the larvicides and the adulticide pesticides that we're, we're testing. And that's the great part of having the collaboration with Demetra is, is we can really scale the yeast production for those large-scale field trials. Likewise, getting this yeast out to the mass rearing facilities, having them test it, and use it, and then you know, deploy these these new applications like SIT um, around the world, and, and uh, see where we can take things in terms of controlling mosquitoes. And I think you know we have multiple approaches, pesticides, and then also the sex sorting and the SIT. It's probably going to take all of these approaches to to combat mosquitoes. So it's wonderful that we're coming at it from many different an angles. And then really, you know, any of these things that we're doing in mosquitoes, as long as you have an insect that can eat yeast and you know what the genome sequence is, the sky's the limit. Um, we can control many other pests. For example, there's a lot of interest in spotted wing drosophila. They're wreaking havoc in the American fruit industry. They will eat yeast. And then people come to me all the time. Hey, can you do something about the fire ants? Um, they're really wreaking havoc all over the all over the country too. And so I think um, you know we're starting to think a little bit more about ants. And I think we'll see what other pests come our way. Looking forward to future collaborations with you all. It's been a great one. Yeah, I, I agree with Molly because essentially the makeup is there, you know, as long as you have a gene that can, that you can target and it's conserved amongst that, you know, that those organisms. We'll close with now that uh, we've got this collaboration set up. It sounds like Molly's group can discover new targets for the same exact process with any pest. And at Demetra, we know that we can build the, the bioprocessing platforms and we're open for further collaborations. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you.